Okay, we are uh, looking at the process and the content of discipleship. Um, we looked at the Great Commission that focuses on discipleship, not evangelism. To be sure, evangelism is included in the discipleship, but the bulk of the ministry of maturing believers in the context of the community of households and congregations is discipleship. In the same way that you have to produce children, uh, but then you have to raise them, and that raising them takes a lot more time than the, uh, than the birth process. And so uh, Jesus said to teach them to observe all that I command you. Now we looked at the uh, basis and foundation of our relationship with God last time, uh, that idea of grace, uh, God's favor, by which we must be established and we must be strengthened and maintained, is God's favor that is unearned, uh, but we can grow in grace through humbleness. And we talked about that as James talks about God gives grace to the humble, but he, uh, he resists the proud. So God's favor is towards us. As we humble ourselves before the Lord, we grow in grace and in knowledge in that context. His grace is sufficient for our weakness. Thank God for that. And that grace is the origin of all of our salvation. By grace you have been saved through faith. We saw rather than an excuse because we have grace and we're not under uh, the law uh, for salvation that we aren't to continue in sin. Paul says, God forbid. We are to walk in the good works that God has instructed for us to accomplish. Those works don't save us, but they express the gratitude for the grace which has come to us. So we started with that idea of grace and I said it's really important to understand that if you, when we get to the struggle of obedience, if that foundation of grace is not in place, then you move into performance mode, which is not true obedience. It's a facade of obedience trying to keep the wrath of God away. That's not the approach. So we're going to look now at this next step, which is if you uh, look at the handouts I gave you, and I think most of you don't have them, so let me just remind you of the model that we're using. We started with grace. This is the subflooring. The ground would be here. We're now going to look at faith, hope, and love. Next week we'll look at lordship. These things are really foundational to the discipleship of our children, the discipleship of our uh, converts, and really the discipleship of ourselves. And these concepts of faith, hope, and love are very important. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. Now we looked at these before uh, when we were going through Corinthians. Uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to do Corinthians was to lay a foundation for much of what we're talking about now. In 1 Corinthians 13, we have that chapter of love that everybody's familiar with. In verse 12, he says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. Now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The Apostle is talking to the Corinthians uh, regarding love, but he talks about something that's incomplete and something that's complete. Now, incompleteness, and then 
completeness. That's really important. What he's talking about is the kingdom of God. We now see through a reflection. We see through a glass darkly. We don't fully understand all that God is doing. Uh, We have to trust Him. That's the faith part. Um, But then we will know. Uh, He says that we will know as we are known. In the same way that God ultimately knows us, we will know. So then in that context, he says, now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest is love. That's a fascinating statement. And we're going to consider that uh, this this. this message, and then we'll go to Lordship next time. So let's begin with the word love. Love is the starting place for these three words, love, uh, faith, hope, and love. Uh, Love actually is at the beginning of it and at the end, not in the text, but in the broader biblical text. The Hebrew word for love is ahava, and the Greek word uh, that's used here is agapeo. It's the uh, idea of a love that is self-sacrificing uh, towards another person for their benefit. It's actually doing good for another person at your expense. In other words, you it is an action, it's not a feeling. Uh, a person needs a drink, you give them a drink. A person needs food, you give them food. A person needs shelter, you give them shelter. That costs you. Because you're giving up something that you have. And so that's the essence of what this love is. That God's grace, His favor of us, mankind, first through Israel, and then through the Messiah to all the nations, His favor towards us then, He has chosen to love us. To act in a way that is for our benefit. And that acting in a way that is for our benefit is at his expense. And we see that in a passage that you and I are very familiar with. uh, The Gospel of John uh, chapter 3 verse 16. Probably one of the verses most memorized by believers. uh, Even unbelievers know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave... His only begotten Son, that whoever believes or faiths in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world or judge it, but that He might, that the world might be saved through Him. So the giving of God's Son, God's expense, towards our benefit, comes because first, God is gracious. He has favored mankind. And then because He has favored us, He has chosen to do good for us. And that doing good for us is the very definition of love. Now that love is because it's based on God's grace. That love that has come to us didn't come based on our works. It came based on that grace. And we see that clearly in Romans chapter 5. I want you to look at this because this is an important uh, understanding for us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says, Hope does not disappoint you. You'll notice the word hope. You're going to keep seeing the word hope, love, and faith in here. 
Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit which He has given us. There again, He gave us His Son. He has given us His Spirit. Those are acts of God's love. While we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He says, now one will hardly die for a righteous man. Perhaps a good man, someone might die for them. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we will be saved from the wrath of God through him. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life, by his resurrection. All that God is doing, God is doing for our benefit. His grace has placed his favor, his grace towards us. Out of that grace, he has loved us, and in that love, he has given to us his word, he's given to us his son, he's given to us his spirit, all of that coming from God at his expense, when we were yet not even trying to do anything that would, that would obtain that. So, God's grace in his favor has come to us, and he's demonstrated that love, granted through grace, not of works, but through Christ who died for us while we were yet sinners. He gave at his expense while we were still in rebellion, without faith and without hope in the world. Now, this is important because it's that background that we have in Ephesians chapter 2. Where, again, another verse that's well known, not always quoted in its entirety, usually quoted just in a, in a short part. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we'll pick it up at verse 4, uh, so that we can see this notion of God's love. But God, being rich in mercy, rich in His grace, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ, means Jew and Gentile, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show his surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Okay? Because the grace favor is there, the love action is given, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of the result of works, so that no one can boast, because he's the one working on us we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them so the idea is that all of this activity, this action of love, is not that we love God, but He loved us. In fact, the scripture says we love Him because He first loved us. So, 
It's important that we start with love when we look at faith, hope, and love because it's not as if the end is love. We're going to find out the end is love. But the beginning is love uh, as well. And love is throughout that entire thing. This is why Paul is saying that the love is greater than faith and hope. Now we move to hope. The Hebrew word for hope is tikva. Uh, the, uh, the national anthem of Israel is hatikva. Uh, the hope, the hope of the restoration, the hope of the promises. The Greek word, elpis, is a similar word. They both mean a promised expectation. They don't mean a wish. We use the word hope in two ways. We use word hope as in, I hope I get a new job, I hope I get a better house, I hope uh, It won't rain tomorrow. Whatever we are hoping for, that's simply a wish. We're trying to figure out what would be better for us, and we desire that, and that desire, that wish, we sometimes call hope. We should not use the word hope that way when we're talking theologically. The word hope means an expected promise. If someone tells you that they're going to give you something at the end of the month, That promise becomes your hope. That hope is what has, you are expecting what has been promised. That's the difference between I decided what I want and I hope I get it versus someone has told me this is what I'm going to get and I now hope for it because it's been promised. So, this word uh, is based greatly on the idea of the grantor. The grantor makes a promise. The recipient has a hope. Now that means by definition that hope is not yet. It is a promise that is not established as of yet in terms of its fulfillment. It is given as a promise and expected as a hope. And so Paul gives us instructions regarding that in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8's got a lot of information. It's one of those intersection uh, chapters that you almost need all of the knowledge of all of the scriptures to really read that chapter well. But in Romans 8 verses 24 and 25, Paul says, In hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Now this creates a problem for some people theologically. Because they say, I'm already saved. In a sense you're already saved. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. In a sense you're being saved as you're being transformed and conformed into the image of His Son. Ultimately, the salvation that we're waiting for awaits the future when the resurrection takes place and the Lord returns and we're with Him and we will be saved. That salvation, that full salvation that is promised, that resurrection that's promised, none of us have. We hope for it. It has been promised. And the question is, will the one who promised keep His word? Because if he won't keep his word, it's a false hope. If he will keep his word, then it's a blessed hope, right? It's a wonderful hope. 
So that's important that we understand this. The scriptures become our source, we're going to see, uh, of this waiting, this knowledge of the promise, this waiting for the promise is all tied to that. So I want you to go just a little further in Romans to Romans 15. Paul's been talking in Romans about this whole thing over and over. When he gets to 15 verse 4, he says, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that with perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Again, we're not coming up with the idea, wouldn't it be nice someday to be resurrected? Wouldn't it be nice someday to be in the kingdom of God? We didn't come up with that. God came up with that and He promised it. He promised it to Israel. He promised it through Israel to us. And, and those things were written so that we could hear the promises in the Scripture. And beyond hearing the promises in the Scripture, we would begin to see that the one who promised is faithful in keeping His word. If we read the Scriptures and we see God keeping His word, of the promises that are short term, then we know He's going to keep the promises that are long term, and therefore our hope is in Him, not in the promise. Really important to keep that uh, uh, idea. Now, the Spirit is given to us to reinforce this hope and to comfort us also while we wait. So we have God's Word as our promise. We have His Spirit as our comfort so that we can endure, persevere in this present life with all its problems with the hope, the promised expectation of the life to come. That's really what hope is about. Hope is not about there's nothing challenging it. Hope is always challenged. But we believe that the one who promised is faithful. And that brings us to the book of Galatians. Doing a little bit of a sword drill today. Galatians 5, verses 5 and 6 say, We through the Spirit, by faith, there again we have that other word, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or not Jewish. But faith that works through love. Now we got the other, all the words are there. Hope, faith, and love. You see how they're connected? So the idea here is uh, God's grace, His favor towards us, has, caught, has brought Him to choose to love us, act on our benefit at his expense by giving us a promise a hope of resurrection and the kingdom to come and he's given us his word and his spirit so that we can wait for this thing persevere and this is for the Jew and the Gentile not based on our works but based on our acting in a loving way because of our faith so we have to talk about faith the Hebrew word for faith is aman. Sounds like amen. It's not quite the same. The Greek word is pistis. This word, these words mean an understanding or a belief, but it's not simply mental assent. 
If I say this is an old uh, example that's been used by evangelicals for a long time. If I say that I believe that chair can hold me, uh, I have a mental ascent. I think that chair can hold me. Okay, But that's not faith. That's just a belief. The problem is in English, we can separate belief and trust. But in this Greek text, in this word, and in the Hebrew word, they are connected so that if I believe that this chair will hold me, I demonstrate it by acting in accordance with that belief. And I sit in it. In other words, actions come out of our faith, out of our trust, in a very real sense. I use this example at the college all the time. If I tell you I'll meet you in the parking lot at 3 o'clock, if you believe me, you will be at the parking lot at 3 o'clock. If you don't believe me, because you don't believe that I will do what I say, you will act a different way. Many Christians act as if God isn't going to do what he says. Or worse, like Abraham, we try to help God out. And in helping him out, we run into a problem. Helping God out is not trusting him. Trusting him is saying, God will do what he says to, he'll do, and he wants me to do what he's commanded me to do. Well, what if the commandment is against the promise? Abraham, kill your son. Do you trust the promiser? Or do you trust the promise? And Abraham thought, if God's going to keep his word, that kid won't stay dead. Resurrection. That's the idea of faith. Really, faith is comes by the word of God, so that you know what God is like, and you know what he does, and you know how he does things. Not because you wish it, not because somebody's preached it, not somebody, because somebody's given a testimony about it, but because the word of God actually gives us that. So, I want you to look at the book of Hebrews. We've been in Hebrews through our whole liturgy this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I'd love to do a little play on the now. Remember the now and then. Now faith is... But that's really not what this text is saying. It's always fun when the English will let me do something that the Greek won't really, won't really do. So what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. If you have faith, you have an assurance that that which has been promised is going to come to pass. It is the assurance of the things hoped for. The things that I hope for, not that I wish, but that have been promised. And it is the conviction or evidence of things not seen. What's not seen? God is not seen. The promises are not seen. The hope is not seen. If We wouldn't hope for it if we could see it. So faith believes in the one who promised, who is unseen. And the promise which is unseen. And it becomes the 
uh, evidence of that and it becomes the uh, assurance that we have. Faith's really important while you're waiting for the promise to come. Because without faith, you begin to panic. Without faith, you lose hope. Without faith, you don't know if the promises are really going to be there. You begin to doubt them and you begin to come up with another plan. Faith trusts the one who promised that he will keep the promise. Now, uh, the chapter, chapter 11 there, we don't have time to read it, is about those who were given promises. It's really important sometime to go through that book. You'll notice that it starts with the promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Noah, and others. And then eventually goes to the promises of God's people, many of whom are unnamed. And the writer tells us two things. That some of the promises have been met. But most of them have not met. Because God's going to bring all the promises together for all of us at one time at the kingdom to come. There's now and there's then. The danger today is we've got a lot of people claiming promises and believing that God's got to show up in the next five minutes to meet those promises. And they claim that if they have enough faith, then God has to do it. That faith is not a power that controls God. Faith is a trust in God who has all power that He will do when and how He's promised what He's promised. That's really important. So, What he says is that some of them receive the promises, but the bulk of the promises wait for the life to come. But faith then, as Romans 10, 17 says, comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The more you read the word of God, the more you see what God is doing, the more you trust God, the more you don't need to see anything because you see beyond by faith. In that assurance and in that evidence. So, what we end up with is that the faith is in the promiser, not the promises. As I said, Abraham's that example. He ultimately trusts God to do what God's going to do. That brings us then to 2 Corinthians, which we have just completed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 6 to 10. Therefore, being of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Why? If all the promises are going to happen in this life, why would we want to leave this life? They ain't going to happen in this life. They're going to happen in the next life. So what's our preference? Let's get on with it, right? You have those days. In fact, that's what the evil days is. I don't need to be around here much longer, you know. (laughs) I've seen this, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. I don't need that. Let's move on to the kingdom, right? So he says, Therefore, We have as, uh, uh, we are of good courage, I say, and 
prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent. Now, you're in one of the two conditions today. You're either absent from the Lord or you're home with the Lord. If you're home with the Lord, you're not listening to me. So I'm assuming all of you are not at home with the Lord. You are here. Right? Our goal, whether we were either one, is to be pleasing to Him. What does Hebrews say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because the one who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, who trust Him, who walk in His ways, not to earn salvation, but because of the grace that has come to them in that context. Because we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. So the idea of this is that we're incomplete here, and we walk by trust, encouraged by the word, comforted by the spirit, that the one who promised is faithful, and he will do what he said. So we will trust Him, and we will obey, which is the whole point of faith, working by love, as we read in that earlier passage. That's the essence of all the commandments. What are the three major commandments? Love God, love your neighbor, love one another. I mean, Faith then says, okay God, you're going to keep the promises. Your love has come to me. I will love in return you, my neighbor who's created in your image, and my fellow believer who is part of the body with me. We are members one of another. I will walk in love because I have faith. Because I have hope. Because God's grace has come to me. All of this is that underground underpinning that we must have before we try to wobble and work through the issues of lordship and obedience. Because you'll simply fall apart without that. So what's the conclusion? The love of God has come to us by grace. In His love... He has given us promises known through His Word, reinforced by His Spirit. And those promises are our hope. Because He who promised is faithful, we trust in Him and live by that trust in obedience to Him as we wait for the promises. And that obedience is us acting in love. Taking what we have and giving to God, that's loving God, sharing what we have with a neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, and loving one another as he has loved us, self-sacrificing for one another because there is nothing we can give up for each other that the Lord can't replace and bring about uh, a complete fulfillment. So, When faith then becomes sight, which is not in this life, and the promises are fulfilled, there will be no need for hope, because hope will be seen, and no need for faith, because we have arrived. But love will remain. Love will be through all eternity. 
No need for hope. We will have all things. No need for faith. The one we trust is right there with us. But His love for us, our love for Him, and our love for each other will continue through all eternity. So that's why Paul says, Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Because it is in the beginning, it will be at the end, and hope and faith are part of this now to get us from love eternity to love eternity. Now, the process of going beyond this foundation is what I call the flooring. And that is our confession that Jesus is Lord. We're going to talk about what Lordship is next time. Let's pray.